HVAC 360, episode number 52, Maintenance Access. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I am your host, Matt Nelson. Uh, this week, uh, we're talking about maintenance access, but before we get into it, I'd like to uh, say, hey, yay, we made it a year, 52 weeks. Uh, so 52 weeks, even though it's been a little bit uh, more than that, if you know the behind the scenes as far as when we started in building chatter and things like that. Uh, so, But 52 episodes, we have a complete set for a year. And uh, we will be going on into our second year. So obviously we got some uh, great things that are coming up, um, lined up some interviews, and hopefully we can get it out on a consistent basis. I always like to do that. I know the last couple of months have been a little bit rough. Uh, if you've paid attention or if you're new, hey, don't worry. Uh, nothing's nothing's wrong here. Um, so uh, uh, this week we're going to be talking about maintenance access. So what's so exciting about maintenance access? Well, you know, to the owner, it's really the bottom line, you know, being able to maintain their equipment and, and, and keeping it on the line and, and getting the best possible performance, the best, uh, least energy uh, they can. It, it, you know, it, so it's, it's, it's really important to them. So therefore, it should be very important to you as well. Both the uh, design engineer and the commissioning agent uh, really want to take a close look at maintenance access. It's not something to be a, a afterthought. And I kind of have a little four-step process that I kind of like to t- take you through um, uh, going through this a little bit. Uh, step one, I, I, I name that step, does it fit? This is your design step. Uh, step number two, uh, can it be installed uh, and set up? That's your construction step. Step number three is can it be maintained? And uh, you would think, well, doesn't it end there? No, there's a step four. Step four, can it be replaced? You know, back in step one, nobody ever thinks about step four. Can it be replaced? I mean, what, what does it take to actually replace some of these pieces of equipment? If it's little, if it's like a cabinet unit here that sits by the door, guess what? Not a problem. Do a little drywall patching, possibly a little bit extra finish or a different uh, option as far as what you order. And that would be it. But say, for instance, you were replacing a chiller that didn't have proper access. Uh, say you were having uh, replacing a air handling unit that didn't have proper access. That would be a problem. You would be long gone and possibly 20, 30 years down the road, possibly retired. So you may not care, but realistically, you should be on the ball with this. Do not leave it in the owner's lap. This is part of your professionalism, uh, whether you're designing it or whether you're reviewing it uh, for a commissioning authority. So let's get into it. Step one, does it fit during design? Very important that you have uh, the equipment selection for your project picked out. This is, this is really going to be the base of design, but when you're selecting it, you got to make sure that it actually fits in the space that you provided. Now, obviously, mechanical uh, equipment rooms, electrical equipment rooms, those are always, those, those always have an overabundance on, uh, of space. Architects always give you more room than you can possibly ever need to fit all your mechanical equipment. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. 
they never give you enough space. The, you know, but it's important to differentiate, you know, being able to f- actually fit the equipment into a space and being able to maintain it. There's, there's, a, there's a real difference. I mean, you know, I can pack a car better than anybody. I can fit anything into any sort of vehicle. It's, it's an innate skill that I have. But just because I can do it with a car and packing equipment for going on a trip uh, or going off to college, that's completely different than being able to actually get to the different pieces and parts that you've actually put into the space. Never pack a mechanical room. It's never gonna. It's never gonna end up right. It's never gonna end up good, and it's not doing the owner any favors. So you gotta have to be thoughtful about it when you plan it out. How's the maintenance guy gonna move around? What sort of equipment is in the way? I mean, a lot of times it may look good on paper, and this is this is the problem. You gotta think a few steps ahead. So all the equipment may fit in a room. But what happens on the next step when you start overlaying the ductwork, overlaying the piping, overlaying the boiler flues, overlaying the, you know, this, that, and the other thing? All of a sudden, you have a really tight space. You need, able to, you need to be able to think of that right during design. So you have the equipment selection and the design. So you have a piece of equipment that you know. You've picked out your bases of design. You do that because, well, you know, it's just simpler that way. You have your piece of equipment that you can schedule, uh, that you know all the ins and outs, all the details. You have the cut sheet. You know how wide it is, how long it is, how thick it is. All the very specific details that you need to be able to draw it on a piece of paper. Well, and we'll we'll get into equals later. But, um, you know, I guess... It's, it's very critical on where you put it. And let me tell you a few things about making it too tight. If you make it too tight, did you factor in everything? You know, there's a, there's a safety factor you, you want to flub in there, you know. Uh, but you really, it, it can get eaten up rather quickly. You know, when you get an allowance on a budget, uh, you know, there's, there's certain things that uh, uh, that allowance goes for that are unfore- unforeseen conditions. Do you really have everything detailed out? Do you have the flanges on the ductwork? You know, whether or not they're half-inch flanges or whether they're two-inch flanges. Uh, do you have the base rail to the piece of equipment? Does it come, does it sit on an equipment pad, a equipment curb, some sort of concrete curb that you have in the mechanical room? Is the room going to be flat? Is, it gonna, is there structure overhead that you're not necessarily accounting for? You really have to play this out, and I guess I'm, I'm focusing on mechanical rooms a little bit now, um, but you really, have to, you, you really have to lay it out and think it through about what exactly you, you know, you're going to do. Because you know, if you're going to take a 90 right off a piece of equipment, it's not going to be you know, as close as you think it's going to be. You know, you can lie to yourself and say, you know what, it's just going to go out, you know, just come out, you know, the, the uh, 90 degree elbow is just going to come off the piece of equipment like this, and that's how it's going to be. But you know what, you're not an installer, you're not a contractor. What you don't know is that you need, you know, an, an extra two or three inches because you have to have some sort of, you know, coupling or flange or something like that in there uh, to be able to connect the piece of equipment to the ductwork. And, and it's that oversight that if you make it too tight, 
guess what? You're going to get bitten at the end. Your system's going to be restricted on the airflow, and you're going to end up paying the penalty in energy by increasing the static. You know, those some of those system effects. So you want to make sure that you allow yourself enough space, another uh, enough breathing space. And we're going to kind of go over some of the, the construction implications a little bit later. But let's get back to that or equal. So you have your basis of design. And in most cases, you're going to have an or equal, which means that you're going to have two or three similar products that you're going to find acceptable, that if the contractor wants to use uh, B or C instead of your A product, they can go ahead and do that. It's going to be fine. But when you're talking about big pieces of equipment, it's not necessarily you know very important with little piece of equipment. Sometimes it can be. But with bigger pieces of equipment, that can change by, you know, six inches, 12 inches, three feet. It really depends on the situation, but, you know, it, it can grow that much uh, just from your basic design to what actually gets installed. When you look at air handling units... Typically, you're going to take the look of the cross-section. That's not going to change too much. You might go a couple inches narrower and a couple inches taller, depending on what that cross-section is. But you're going to have that flow that needs to be constant. What happens with air handlers, typically, is that you're going to end up with another section, or the section's going to be different, or it's going to be longer, because the air handlers are going to be you know, built up on these sections or modules that they're going to put together, and those are going to be a different length. So length is really critical when you're evaluating uh, the different or equals. I mean, frankly, most people just put down two other manufacturers, and they don't even bother with or equals. But it's really critical if you have a space that's really, really tight, you want to take a look at those or equals and see if you can't get uh, just you know the dimensions of what would be submitted by the contractor to make sure that you have enough space. So one thing you, 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 you want to be able to do, um, especially during design, is with specifications. Now, what do I mean by that? Specifications in relation to the maintenance staff. Because it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to put this piece of equipment in. It's going to get installed. Everybody's going to touch it once. We're going to turn it on, and it's going to run. Well, I speak from personal experience where you take the same panel on and off of a unit. You do an adjustment. You put the panel back on. You test it out. It doesn't work. You take the panel back off. You do another adjustment. Put the panel back on. Test it doesn't work. Take the panel back off. But I mean, you 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 understand. You get you get the you get the message here. But realistically, if there's a way, if you ask that just that one additional question, is there uh, an upgrade? Is there an option that I can purchase with this piece of equipment that will make maintenance easier? Where they have just a handle to turn instead of having to have like nine different you know hex head screw bolts that uh, they have to undo each time they want to take this panel off. I mean, not only is it going to be better for the maintenance guy, but it's, it's just going to be friendlier all around. If there's that additional thing, and if you're a manufacturer out there, hey, look how you can make your uh, equipment more maintenance friendly. So engineers out there, 
take a look at the specifications, see what you can do about that. You want to make sure that uh, you know you're 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 factoring that in, and if you can at all costs, because typically these things aren't they're not they're not budget busters. You know, they're a few hundred dollars. You know, for a piece of equipment that's you know thousands and thousands of dollars. So it's really not that big of a deal in most cases to be able to specify better handles, uh, easier access, different types of fasteners that just make it easier on everybody all around. In design, it's critical to coordinate with other trades. Do the best you can. I mean, you, you want to make sure that your electrical panels aren't behind your air handling unit and you're, you're blocking that, that, uh, that code clearance distance. You know, I mean, obviously, those are some of the dumb things that, that you can really, you know, coordinate ahead of time. Um, you know, you're going to have, and I, I call this kind of like preliminary coordination, because you're going get, to get into, you know, as-built when you, when you get into construction. That's going to be a whole different form. But for right now, you want to make sure that all the pieces, parts, have their own little home, have their own little space around them. Everybody's kind of like a happy little family living in those mechanical and electrical rooms. You don't want to make sure that there's pipes where there shouldn't be and ductwork that's not going over what it shouldn't go over. Um, so do some preliminary uh, coordination with that. Obviously, absolutely a key is what every commissioning agent should be you know, looking for uh, during the design process. A couple of different tips for the design process. You want to, you want to watch the mounting height. And what I, what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, you have a ceiling that's, say, it, it's, it's at 9 feet. Um, but you have, for whatever architectural reason, you have a plenum space that may be 4 feet above that. Well, guess what? You don't want that terminal unit, that VAV box, way up there. So you have to actually deconstruct the ceiling grid to be able to get a ladder up there to be able to maintain it that high. You want to make sure that all your access is 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 decent for all your equipment. You want to make sure that y- you identify drywall ceilings. And you know that hit home just recently with something you didn't think about and all of a sudden there's a drywall ceiling there. I mean, that might have been just a, a brick wall. I mean, there's some things you can do to a drywall ceiling to get access, but none of it's pretty. A drywall ceiling's meant to be, you know, this nice finish from an architectural standpoint you you just you just want to see that you don't want anything else so consider a little game with yourself if you have to put a hole in a drywall ceiling for an access door you've lost just stay away try to organize your equipment and your access and your different accessories so you don't have to penetrate that drywall ceiling and you know, know it ahead of time. I mean, you might just have a just a loose conversation saying, okay, where's the drywall ceilings going in this place? Have a conversation with your architect. Talk to them about it. And while you're at it, while you're talking with them, you might want to talk about access around the roof. I mean, I've said it time and time again, but access around the roof, getting to different locations, absolutely critical when you're a maintenance person. Even when, you know, even when, you know, during construction, they might have ladders tied off in certain places. But once those ladders go away, I mean, all you commissioning agents understand, when all the the construction ladders go away, guess what? Now you got to start lugging things around to be able to get access to different equipment. It's a lose-lose situation. 
architects, please kind of, you know, just take them through the different pieces that need maintenance. I mean, and frankly, that's that's pretty much everything. If you have a roof drain, you need maintenance access. It might be a different kind of maintenance access, but, you know, it might not be a lug in a box of filters up to an air handling unit, but you still have to actually get to that space. And if you have a multi-story building with a, a slick roof, that's not going to cut it when you're trying to put a ladder on it. That's just not, it's not, that's going to be unsafe. And that's really no good. Okay, so that's design. Those are some of my tips. Now we get into step two. Can it actually be installed? Now, this is, this is where you want to do, um, uh, you know, walkthroughs uh, when you're in, you know, nothing is better than walking through and identifying things, uh, you know, during construction. Uh, whether you be an engineer, uh, it's going to be essential for commissioning authorities. But you want to be able to get through, uh, walk through construction, see how the maintenance is going. Because obviously, if something is not quite right, and it, you get it just to the time the equipment's set, you have a chance to be able to move it. If, if, if you don't hit it at that time, if you're doing it just before the ceiling gets buttoned up, it's way too late. Nobody's interested in moving it. They'll just kind of drag their feet until the ceiling goes up, and then they'll just raise their hands and go, I guess I can't do anything about it now. You know, at that point, you get into an argument, and then it causes a bad situation if you really, really have to have it moved. So really, when you're an engineer or commissioning authority, get there early, take a look at the maintenance access when you can. And really... It, it's kind of an evolutionary process because, you know, construction is, you know, it's first this, then that. So when you look at it one day, you may come back to it in two or three days, and all of a sudden, that maintenance access is completely blocked. I've had that happen in more, than, more than once. So coordination drawings. These are the things that, that really should, uh, you know be the be the you know the, the driving force the the telling uh the, the the proof in the pudding and what these these coordination drawings are typically they're a set of drawings that are started by a, one one of the contractors and then they go they you know proceed to be sent to different contractors and everybody draws their own stuff in bim this is supposed to be smoothed over but you know at least today now uh from what i see you know Coordination drawings are absolutely key because things, you know, the engineer's drawings are drawn diagrammatically. This is really, it's exactly this. Here's what I'm constructing. Here's what I'm putting in. And typically, you know, the guy with the biggest stuff or the most important stuff goes first. Typically, it's going to start with a HVAC contractor because his ducts are the biggest and they just can't, you know, they can move, you know, out of the way, up and down, things like that. But realistically... You don't want to if you don't have to. You know, next the kind of the plumber gets in in, in the uh, in the mix, and then you know the electrician or fire protection, telecommunication, different trades. It depends on on you know the, the sensitivity of it. And they'll if there's a coordination issue, they'll they'll work it out in the field with a foreman and things like that. But there's no you know their goal is to get it to fit. Their goal is not to have it necessarily maintainable and the, you know the, the real the real problem is is that you know if you if you think about electricity and you think about the electricians and their equipment 
You know, if you don't have the proper clearance in front of a piece of switchgear, guess what? It's getting flagged. The occupancy permit is not going to be issued. If there's a junction box that you can't get to, guess what? It's getting flagged. It's getting moved. It's being corrected. These are all code issues. Code for safety. You know what's not code? Maintenance access. Maintenance access is not code, at least to my knowledge. So co- it's, it's often ignored by the rest of the trades. They just have to be able to install it. You know, the big trick. You, I just have to get access enough to get it in once and to have it run and run right. But nobody has to think about maintenance. So that's kind of the whole reason why, you know, I'm going through this is to talk about maintenance, to talk about the importance of the access to this. Of course, this can always come back and bite contractors in the foot. Because, as at least with a mechanical contractor, they typically have two or three subs that are rather important. There's the controls contractor, there's the balancing contractor, and then there's the insulator. So why, why is it so important? You know, with a piece of equipment, you've got to be able to get to the controls panel of these different pieces of equipment. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, anything with intelligence, terminal units, you know, HVAC equipment, things like that, not necessarily accessories like dampers. But you have to be able to get to it and, con- and program it. And you want that to be as easy as possible. Balancing. It has to be able to be balanced. Now, here's the key with drywall ceilings. You know, I've run into a scenario recently where there was ductwork laid out, there were balancing dampers installed, and drywall ceiling followed up. Guess what? Nobody's getting to the balancing dampers. Nobody's going to put multiple holes in that ceiling with dampers, with the access doors, to get to those dampers. All practical purposes, dampers need to be moved once, maybe, and then they're good. It was you know, really some one of those things that just didn't get a lot of thought. If this had picked, been picked up in design, that would have been better. But realistically, uh, now they're kind of you know behind the eight ball trying to figure out exactly what to do. So think about the balancer when you're thinking about drywall ceilings. Because you know it's not always about the big pieces of equipment, the terminal units, whether they be heat pumps or VRF units or fan-powered VAV boxes or VAV boxes up in the ceiling. Sometimes it's just as simple as a valve, a drain, access, uh, a damper. You know, it's just, you know, that easy. Think about some of these things. I mean, the the problem with a lot of the the accessories is sometimes they're not shown by engineers, Um, you know, which is, you know, either good, bad, or indifferent, but they're still going to be there at the end product. And if they're not thought about, uh, then then they're going to get forgotten. So you need to make sure that you think about 
those things when you're going through your design. But obviously, it's critical for the, uh, the contractor to know that if there's a drywall ceiling there, hey, he better flag it and get an RFI to the engineer as soon as possible. Because once those ceilings go up, he doesn't want to have to pay somebody to tear them back down and put them back up again. So, in far as the insulator goes, insofar as that, that guy goes, uh, or gal, uh, they're putting up uh, insulation around ductwork that's probably already installed or piping. If it becomes increasingly difficult, I mean, you want to make sure that that insulation goes in and that they do a quality job. You want to be able to empower them to be able to do the best job they can. I mean, the same thing goes with the controls guy. Same thing goes with the test and balance guy. But you want to empower the insulator to be able to get all that insulation in in a neat and workmanlike manner. What you don't want to do is pinch the the ductwork up to the ceiling, so they ac- they can't actually get the insulation around it, or they, when they do do it, it's going to be torn, it's going to be partial, it's going to be, you know, it's just not going to be in a, a a good scenario. Again, this is why you don't want to, you know, pack that mechanical room with a hundred pounds worth of equipment when it's only sized for eighty. Moving on, step three, maintenance. Okay. Now we want to be able to we want to be able to think through uh, now that we've actually gotten it installed um, and, and and gotten around it. You want to be able to you know get up to the equipment. You want to be able to you know touch and feel everything. It, with maintenance, there's a certain number of things that you have to do with a piece of equipment, depending on what it is, uh, how big it is, uh, you know, and things like that. But I would, you know, make a little matrix for yourself, whether or not they have to change filters, whether or not there's belts with the equipment, whether or not they need to be, uh, uh, you know, have bearings greased. You know, if you don't know these things, when you select the piece of equipment, maybe it's a good idea just to talk with your manufacturer's rep a couple minutes longer and say, hey, by the way, if, you know, to maintain this on the long haul, what do I have to be, what I have to be able to do to, you know, to get things done? Um, you know, whether it's cleaning, cleaning the coil or, or, or washing out the drain pan or whatever. whatever. Find the, the couple of things and just have that in your mind when you're laying out this, these pieces of equipment. Um, and that will give you a little bit of better, better uh, perception of, you know, what the maintenance guy is going to have to go through. I mean, you don't want, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, here's, here, here's, here's, here's my list of, uh, you know, most desirable features for a maintenance guy. I want somebody who's a contortionist. I want somebody who's small and also tall. I want somebody who's as thin as a rail. These are kind of the, the you know the, the the perfect maintenance people in my mind because you know what in reality the types of systems that they get that's exactly what you have to be to be able to maintain some of this equipment. You have to be a contortionist. This is not this should not be your goal. This is not a good you know you know, goal to set for yourself. You want to be able, you know, any, just about anybody to be able to, you know, go up and maintain the equipment. You don't want to be, you know, you don't have to have any sort of special equipment. Or, you know, if you do, make sure that it's not, you know, just for this one piece of equipment. You know, I mean, the, the worst thing that you can do, and I've seen it happen, where you have a, uh, a cabinet unit heater in a foyer that's, you know, about 30 feet high, that you actually have to get a scissor lift into the vestibule and then raise it to be able to do any sort of maintenance. 
because you know what happened to that one? It never got connected. It got installed, and the electrician forgot about it, and the insulator forgot about it, and the plumber forgot about it. It was bad news all the way around. Why? Because it was 30 feet in the air. Not even contractors wanted to go up there once to be able to fix it. You know, it was out of the way, out of sight, out of mind. Nobody thought about it. So it just it sat there and did nothing. That's not what you want to do in design. That's not what you want to have to do uh, for maintaining the equipment. You want to have something, you know, if, it, if it's going to be something special, um, you know, ha- have a conversation with the maintenance staff. You know, if they have to uh, purchase a scissors lift, uh, especially for that, guess what? Make it part of the contract. Uh, make it part of the project. So they, they get that turned over to them so they can do proper maintenance. You know, but that should not be your goal. You know, a lot of a lot of times you have, you know, different sort of light bulbs that uh, are in these, you know, these grand foyers, these, these entry lobbies. How do they get changed? You know, think about that. When a light bulb burns out, how does it get replaced? You know, is that the case? Is that the uh, a scenario for, hey, you know what, let's get LED lighting, you know? I mean, sometimes it's not a simple case, you know, when you have the difference of, you know, a different, like a high school cafeteria that has high ceilings. You know, that might be, you know, uh, you know one scenario, but immediately adjacent to it, have a, uh, a big auditorium with, uh, you know, seating that's sloped. Different scenario whatsoever. Could be the same type of lighting, but you're going you're gonna to have to have two different uh, ways of changing each of those light bulbs. You know, if at all, you might wait till they, you know, nearly all fail before you replace them. But that's something that you need to think about beforehand. I mean, that's the whole reason that I'm kind of going through this is just to kind of give you ideas of, you know, what it's like to be a maintenance person, uh, to, you know, to go through there and to have to, to be able to maintain this equipment. I've had scenarios where maintenance equipment actually had to, uh, there was uh, two air handlers that were on a mezzanine. And the only way you can get to this mezzanine was that you had to climb up uh, this ladder, this vertical ladder. And uh, so if you had to get filters for these units, you actually had to kind of you know, use a rope and, and drag them up through this little shaft that was about just the right size. I mean, you know, person-sized shaft. So it was, you know, it was really, really a nightmare. And I can't imagine that, you know, what's going to happen when they actually have to take out these two air handlers. But really, that's step four. So let's move on. Step four, the step that gets forgotten. What happens when you need to replace it? You know, what needs, you know, when you're going to take it down and put something else back up? Are you going to be able to do it? Are you going to have to move a ton of conduits? You know, what happens with the air handling unit that's up in the mezzanine? Do you have to cut it apart? Is that, is that something you need to do? What about, okay, I can get to the, uh, you know, I can, you know, take out a louver. You know, are the louvers big enough? Do I have to actually deconstruct some of the wall? Did you put an oversized louver there so you can get some equipment? Great, now I got it on the, uh, uh, the roof of the place. Can I actually get a crane to it? Or is it some case, uh, someplace that I actually have to get a helicopter to actually do a, uh, a, a remote lift? These are some of the things 
that you need to think about. I mean, there's big pieces of equipment, um, you know, especially, and this is this is the, kind of the trouble that you get into in some of those mechanical rooms where you pack it so tightly that you can't get maintenance access. What happens when you need to replace something? Well, you got to remove two or three other pieces of equipment to get that third piece of equipment out. You know, sometimes you can cut it apart, but guess what? You got to get something similar back into that spot. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you really, you know, think about some of those things when you're going through your your design process, when you're going through your commissioning review process. Really, when you're doing this, I mean, when you, when you think about it, These pieces of equipment are built to last 20, 15, 20 years. You know, realistically, they may, may go, they might go longer. You know, it might be 30. But when you're looking at a building that's 50 uh, to 100 years old or, you know, has, you know, has that potential uh, to be used that long, um, and sometimes, you know, even longer. I mean, I, I don't think anybody necessarily builds a building that, that's going to be, you know, they plan on demolishing in 50 years. But, you know, I mean, there's scenarios out there that, you know, it might be a developer. But realistically, you know, that's how long pe- people want to just use use the building until it just falls apart or it's too expensive to uh, to renovate or update. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's like two or three times the length of a standard piece of equipment. So, you know, beyond the life. And you want to be able to make sure that equipment can get replaced when it needs to. And that there's a minimum amount of hassle in doing that. If you can do that, if you can have a maintenance guy get up to a piece of equipment, do the proper maintenance, and be done with it, and then at the end of the day, when the equipment fails, that they can have a contractor come in there and remove it without interrupting any of the other systems that are around it. That's when you know as a designer that you've succeeded. But until that time, you've got to think long and hard you know, about the systems that you're designing, the layouts that you're using, the recommendations that you're making, and the things that you're looking at as far as commissioning goes. So, hope everybody got something out of that. I think those are the four steps. If you disagree with me or have additional comments, I'm always open to feedback. You can send me something at matt at buildingx.co or you can follow me on Twitter, Matt, or uh, <laughs> Twitter at buildingx. And if you want, uh, you can either sign up for my newsletter and get some uh, Inside Scoop, that's at uh, buildingx.co, or you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, not too hard, and connect with me. Glad to connect with anybody who's a listener of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you. I know you're the top 3% of the HVAC industry, so congratulations to you. Good luck. Continued success. Let's go into the second year of HVAC 360. Remembering to know what you build and share what you know.